Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. Welcome to Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. I'm your host, Wayne Yurcha. Our digital world brings us many benefits, but it also exposes our children to an addictive and toxic mix of tech, media, and consumerism that harms their healthy development and undermines their happiness. To better navigate the ever-increasing pressures and challenges of this accelerating digital world, today's children and families need to develop a power we call choicefulness. Choicefulness is a power built on a new and different set of skills, skills specifically designed to protect and prepare our children for a fulfilling future in the age of noise. So if you're a parent looking for new ways to engage with your children, motivate your children, and prepare them for a positive future, we have created this podcast to help you. Well, thank you for joining us. This is episode number 11, and I'm here with my podcast partner, developmental and educational psychologist and kids media expert, Dr. Rob Ryer. And if this is the first episode you're listening to, we suggest that you may want to listen to the episodes in order since each episode builds upon the preceding ones. Now, in episode 10, we introduced parents to a unique method designed to help develop choicefulness in their children. We call that method entertainment. And to help parents use entertainment effectively, we've developed a podcast playbook of entertainment tools and strategies that enable parents to better understand, motivate, and communicate with their children. We talked about some of these in the last episode, things like the motivational theater and the family story team. Today, we're going to start working hands-on with some of these tools, and to help us do that, we're fortunate to have a very knowledgeable guest joining us. Adrian Principe is a mom of four who has generously offered to share insights and examples from her family to help parents learn in a step-by-step way how to use the entertainment playbook. She'll be joining us for the next few episodes. Adrian, welcome to Live Above the Noise. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Now, Adrian, you're with us today, both as a parent and as an active community leader who is doing some really valuable work to inform parents and help families deal with the challenges of today's digital world. You are the founder of Turning Life On and the co-founder of The Conquered Promise. So to start... Can you tell us a little bit about your work? Sure. So we launched the Concord Promise locally as a public platform for parents to relieve some of the social pressure for parents to buy their kids' smartphones. So it's similar to the Wait Until 8th movement, but it's public and it's locally based. And after we launched the Concord Promise, I realized pretty quickly that parents really are looking for suggestions and information about general healthy tech use. So from our experience with Conquer Promise, I launched Turning Life On. And Turning Life On unites, informs, and empowers communities around healthy tech use. So we provide parents with a lot of great information and suggestions, and we, we encourage them to get together within their communities to come up with healthy, sensible norms that they can start in their families and in their communities. Well, as I said, I think that is really important work, and uh, thank you so much for doing that. And for our listeners, we will put up a link to Turning Life On on the resource page of our website. And in regard to your work, Adrian, 
I know that you did a presentation for a group of parents earlier today. Can you tell us a little bit about what these parents were feeling, what they were concerned about, etc.? Yeah, yeah. So we talked a bit about how the brain develops. We also talked about how technology is interfering with the development of many of the necessary skills that the kids are actually going to need to succeed in the future. I think so many schools use that as a defense. Well, we have to teach them technology because they're going to need that down the road. But the reality is they're going to need critical thinking and creativity and negotiation and people management skills. So how do we teach them those skills to build that, you know, bushier brain, we like to say here. And and yes, the parents are frustrated because I think parents feel like they're up against this really big culture that's perpetuating the use of technology. So it's hard to be the only parent that's setting rules. It's hard to go up against the school that's using technology and isn't restricting it. And there's no real guidelines within the schools. So the parents even said they even, or the mom said, can we do a dad's night where we bring the dads together to talk about technology? You know, how do we culturally say, no, I'm not going to allow that to happen. So how did you respond to their concerns? I think that parents need, and this is what I kept saying to one mom, I kept saying to her, we all, us as adults and our kids need to understand brain development. And I think you guys do a really good job of explaining it in an easy to understand way. I mean, I've read The Teenage Brain and some of these other books that make it a little bit more complicated. But I think kids need to understand this is where you are in your development. This is what's happening in your brain. This is how technology companies are interfering with your brain development. This is how they're playing on the emotional part of your brain, which is neglecting the thinking part of your brain, which makes it hard for you to step away. And then on top of that, I mean, we know it, in kids' development that they, especially teenagers, they haven't developed inhibition. So it's making it really hard for them to stop and pause and stop, stop what they're doing to, to step away. So I think you guys do a really great job at that. And I think the self-reflection piece, and I think Catherine may have talked about this a little bit. I listened to that episode. And that's what I've been encouraging parents to do is to take a tech-free day with their family, even if it's for an hour, if you can't do a day, even for an hour and to go out into the yard maybe and do something or have a picnic or go for a walk or a hike. And then after, and I think parents forget to do this, but it's so important to then say, okay, how did that make you feel? You know, as the follow-up, how did you feel when you disconnected? How does that compare to when you were connected? Now you've made that point to kids as well, haven't you? I went into my son's classroom and I just talked about how I had launched Turning Life On and what it took as a woman and the work that had gone into it. And they were really interested in the brain science behind video games and why it's so attractive. And so we talked a lot about that. And then at the very end, I had them all close their eyes and I had them go around the room and talk about their most memorable experience. So for a 10-year-old, what is that? And they all gave us examples and they all shared. And at the very end, I said, you know, I just want to point out one thing. Not one person's most memorable experience included a screen. And I just want you to take that with you when you go home today or this weekend or next week or next month and think about what are the experiences that you want to have? How are you going to have a memorable life? And just make that choice. And it's something that I think we should be, we should all be encouraging all of the children and all of the millennials and all of the adults in the world is to have those types of experiences. 
Well, that's great advice. Then it leads us to the question of what can we do to help our children develop in a healthy way that values those real life experiences and those real life connections? That live above the noise, we believe that the key to that is to teach our kids to become more choiceful. In other words, to increase their levels of awareness, ability, and control. But in order to do that, we have to compete with the power of tech, media, and consumerism and all the psychological and emotional conditioning techniques that they have at their disposal. So the first thing we need to do, the essential thing we need to do, is to get to know our kids better than the manipulators do. So we have to find a door into our kids' world, a way to understand them, a way to communicate with them, and a way to motivate them. We believe that way is by turning the entertainment they love into entertainment, by using their entertainment in a new and effective way that utilizes indirect communication to gain insight and help them develop. That's what we're doing today. And the first thing we want to talk about is something we call story spotlighting. So Rob, what can you tell us about story spotlighting? Yeah, uh, we mentioned indirect and direct communication as two different ways to communicate. And entertainment is a perfect idea for indirect communication because it allows you to take a passion, something that a child is interested in, for example, their story or their TV show, and then enter that world in a way that is non-threatening. And I know, Adrian, that the standard response, if I'm a parent and I say to a child, and I know it gets more problematic the older the child is, but if I say, uh, hey, what are you watching on TV? Or if I say, what video game are you interested in? And that direct form of questioning is also threatening because most of the time a child's going to protect what they're in love with or what the passion is that they have with that entertainment. So the question becomes then, it's a huge question. It's like, how do I enter that world in a way that's non-threatening to the child and actually get on the same page? So we've developed a concept called spotlighting which is a five-step indirect communication process to interact indirectly and to use the communication almost as a projective technique. And for those, those of you that are not familiar with that word projective technique, it sort of means like, how do I discover things without directly putting it in front of a child? It's an indirect way of uncovering information. Almost like a Rorschach is a projective technique in that what do you see in the inkblot? You know, it's a very, very similar way. Now, what do you see in the story? What do you see in the character is a projective way to get that out of the child without directly confronting them about what they may love or identify with. So the whole idea of spotlighting is to, to uncover the information of the story with open questions and indirect communication and with sort of a projective technique to do that. So let's get into that conversation. Let's open that door up. A few days ago, we sent Adrienne a short questionnaire, and we asked her to ask one of her children a few questions, such as, who was his or her favorite character, and what was most important, most valuable to that character? And we'll uh, put that questionnaire on our website so parents can take a look at it if they want. And we told Adrienne that that character could come from a book, a movie, cartoon, comic book, video game, etc., 
And once again, the purpose of all of this is to use indirect communication to get to know our kids better, which is the first step in protecting and preparing them for a fulfilling future. So Adrian, how did that go? I think you started with your 10-year-old son, right? So yeah, so he's probably one of my hardest kids to get information out of, but I thought being 10, I thought he was kind of at this perfect age. My 12-year-old was very skeptical when I started asking her the questions. You know, so just to give you a little idea of what each of the kids said. So she was, why do you want to know this? What are you doing? Why are you asking me these questions? And I tried to assure her that, oh, I was just curious. I just wanted to know about the book she was reading, and it sounded really interesting. And then my nine-year-old was a lot sillier in his responses, you know, trying to make me laugh. And so, yeah, so, you know, I tried to do what... Rob had suggested by just being curious and not leading. And that was really hard to get any information out of him. And this is going to be typical, Rob, isn't it? Totally typical. And almost uh, the older a child gets when they get into adolescence, they're going to be defending their entertainment and they're going to stonewall you even more because that becomes for an adolescent child. They're going to wonder why you want to know that. And they're going to really protect the fact that that may be something that makes them feel bad about themselves or is not good or they'll get disciplined for. So it's going to happen all the time. You have to figure out a way to get around it. It absolutely is going to happen. So then it's got to be, okay, what are the good techniques then? Communication techniques. How can we talk about some communication techniques that open that door in a non-threatening way. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great thing to share with parents. I get that a lot. Some of the other parents who have teenagers are saying they don't want to listen to them. They don't want to talk about it. And how do you kind of bridge that gap? That's great advice for parents is, the, is how to communicate and how to open up the conversation. Well, my wife is a teacher and she's taught for many years. And she says that kids have an interrogation sensor an automatic interrogation sensor. And as soon as they think that you're prodding for anything or looking for anything, it just shuts down. I know one of the things that she had said that she's done over the years is to develop rapport is do something totally different and then be just bringing in the questions almost as an aside, as if they're totally unimportant while you do something else. Use the example for me of, you know, with a young child of just coloring and uh, all of a sudden sort of telling a story about your own early childhood or something or something that, that kind of brings the child into your world a bit. Like when I was a kid, I used to color such and such, or this was the character I was interested in or something along those lines. And then just casually, as if it's totally unimportant, start asking the questions to allow the child to open up. Now, that may or may not work for everybody, but I know that from my wife's standpoint, she is a uh, special ed teacher, and so she's dealt with kids in all kinds of situations. That's something that has uh, worked for her is this idea of distracting the child to be able to uh, get the information. That would be a really great way to get my six-year-old to talk would be to color with her and talk about my experiences. I've also found that um, with my nine-year-old son, he was here when I told, I wanted to tell my 10-year-old son that I was going to be talking about his answers. I felt like I had to respect him in that way, that we were having this podcast. And so I told him a little bit about it. And 
And then my nine-year-old overheard me telling him, and all of a sudden, he was very interested. So then I did end up going through the questions with him, and he was a lot more forthcoming. And he actually shared a lot of really good information with me about his favorite characters, and he was able to give me a lot of really great insight that I really didn't expect from him. And then I've also found through this experience and others that kids really, they like to know about the research and they like to be scientists. So when you can engage them in maybe a sort of experiment or, you know, we're going to look at it in this way to see how it affects your brain in this way, that they're more interested in being involved and listening and sharing information and trying new, new things out. I think those are great examples of how when kids are invited into the conversation in an indirect way, it changes the whole dynamic and they feel more free to open up. So with your 10-year-old son, can you tell us who was his favorite character? So my 10-year-old son's favorite character was Connor Bailey, and he is one of the lead characters in a series of books called The Land of Stories. And can you fill our listeners in on what The Land of Stories is all about? Of course. So the Land of Stories, it's this really excellent imaginary land where all the fairy tales are living. So all the characters from all the fairy tales, they live in this world. And Connor has a twin sister, Alex, and their father is from the Land of Stories. And he came over into the other world, which is our world, and met their mother and So Connor is from both the Land of Stories and from our world. And Connor and his sister travel to the Land of Stories. And each book is a different adventure where there's a villain that has caused a problem in the the Land of Stories. And Connor and Alex are there to kind of save the day. So they work with different characters within the Land of Story to find a solution to the problem. Adrian, what do you think your son is learning from Connor in the Land of Stories? So it's interesting I know the characters from the story because we were introduced to the land of stories through audiobooks. So we started listening to book one in the car last summer. And then this winter, we started listening to book two. My son has since read five of the books in the series on his own. And I think he sees a lot of himself in Connor. Connor does well in school, but he gets bored with school. He has a hard time connecting with his teachers at school, but he's a bright kid. So I think my son, he likes school and he likes his teachers at school, but I think he struggles a little bit, even though he's a bright kid. So I think he definitely feels a connection with Connor in that regard. I think it's also exciting. Connor's going on all these adventures and meeting all these different people. So I think my son definitely likes that aspect of the story and can connect with him on that. He leads an exciting life. Connor does. And I think he's just a pretty normal, well-rounded kid. Connor is. And he's definitely a positive character. So I'm hoping that my son is learning that through hard work and follow through and to not give up and be courageous that you can get great things done, which is what's happening with Connor in the story. So Rob, what are your thoughts about Connor and the land of stories and what we may want to pay attention to from the standpoint of entertainment and story spotlighting? Yeah, well, here's an interesting way to begin looking at the relationship now is like choicefulness has to do with Uh, the awareness first that your son is picking up from the story and from Connor, what awareness is he gaining? And secondly, what abilities might he identify with that Connor has? 
And is he able to develop those abilities in himself? And then third, on the choicefulness approach, is control. And so by looking at Connor and saying, what is my son aware of from the Connor stories? And what is he identifying with with regard to Connor's abilities that are you know related to his own abilities, possibly? Like, for example, I know Connor... Uh, is a writer and he's very interested in writing. And I think you may have mentioned that your son said, I'm aware that Connor is a writer, but I don't like to write. That's not what I like. See, I would pick up on that and go, hmm, if he's identifying with writing and Connor's writing more than normal, you know, like makes more of that and something starts to show up in the conversation about writing, it could be. At least it's interesting to explore if something's going on within his school setting that has discouraged him, your son, from his own ability to write it. There may be an underlying passion in the backstage for writing, or your son would like to write, and he relates to Connor's ability to write as the future for Connor. But that's an interesting thing to be aware of, because there may be something there as a passion that's being buried in the backstage, what we call the backstage, that's worth exploring. And therefore, control in the future from that passion could be lacking if, in fact, it's not developed. So all those things are possible ways to follow through, like maybe a question about why is it that you're not enjoying writing like Connor? Is it something to do with school or have you tried it enough? If writing, in fact, shows up to be a consistent theme with regard to your son and how Connor is doing that. So there's all kinds of possibilities to look for when you start to understand what's up with Connor from an awareness, ability and control perspective. Right. And I think that's an interesting point that you would pick up on the writing part and that he would say what he said. So he said he likes Connor because, well, he said that Connor's smart and he liked that. And then he also mentioned that Connor liked to write. And I asked him, oh, do you like to write? And he said, well, I don't like to write. But this year he has really blossomed in that area of writing. So it's interesting that he would say, I don't like to write, where he actually has come a long way in writing this year. And so maybe he's he's noticing his ability, but he's not quite confident in the ability yet. Well, and I find it interesting that here's Connor, who's a hero in it, and he is a writer. You know, much of today's kids' entertainment is to do with who's got the biggest gun, who's the biggest guy, who's the strongest, who's the most powerful, and that's the form of power that seems to be coming out. So I find it kind of interesting that your son is identifying with a hero who's actually got qualities that don't correspond to some of the qualities that we most promote in common culture. Yeah, that's a great point, Wayne. And also relative to the choicefulness model about awareness, ability, and control, we're going to unfold the control dimension a step at a time. So we don't want to tackle all of that right now, but we do want to expand the idea of how does one control the world around them. And we'll be presenting six different ways to do that and talking about why the physical way or the violent way is the easiest way. It's the most concrete way to view a character because it's obvious. They can control the world by physical power, but we're going to be introducing five other ways that kids should know about. 
So there's the emotional way, the social way, the intellectual way, the ethical way, and the transpersonal way, in addition to the physical way, all of which are hardly ever touched, you know, with regard to traditional entertainment today. So we can expand that. But like Wayne said, the fact that your son is relating to the intellectual way of writing, which it would be considered in that category, is pretty cool and something that should be followed up on because that's a great future form of control. And I think Connor is a great character because he is intellectual, he is smart, and he struggles at school a little bit. So I think he's a great character for kids to relate to. Because even if kids aren't doing great in school, they can see that their potential through Connor's potential. Yeah, that's a great observation, Adrian. So Rob, using Connor as an example for other characters, are there questions that Adrian or another parent might ask to help uncover things about their child using story spotlighting? So we're focused on indirect ways to uncover the information. So there are questions that could be asked, indirect questions, such as, if Connor was going to complete the following sentence, what would he say? The best part of being me is dot, dot, dot. Is there any other story character that you know of that has the personality like Connor? If so, who? How are they like Connor? What family member does Connor look up to the most in his story? Why? If Connor had a superpower, in addition to what he already possesses, what would that superpower be? What would Connor's favorite class be if he went to your school? Would you want Connor to be your best friend? Why or why not? If Connor could choose any pet in the world, what would his pet be? Why? How does Connor show that he is kind to others? So on and on and on, there's there's a hundred ways that you can focus on Connor and ask indirect questions like that, that really start to reveal a much deeper personality profile. Those questions are great because you're right, they're indirect. They get the child talking about the character and get the child to reveal information about the character, but perhaps about themselves that they're really wanting to share. So being able to use those other questions just to get them talking about it. And I think the more they talk about it, the more excited they get about it, the more information they're sharing. And then slowly they're starting to share information about themselves. Now, Adrian, you had another story about your two daughters that was really interesting. Could you share that with our listeners? I would love to. So our oldest daughter is 12 and our youngest daughter is six. So we have four kids. It's girl, boy, boy, girl. And the 12-year-old and six-year-old girls had not been getting along really at all. My 12-year-old is a preteen. She gets annoyed very easily with her younger sister, who's the youngest of four and often uses her voice in a very loud way to get what she wants. And that kind of rubs my 12-year-old the wrong way, as I, I think it rubs all of us the wrong way, right? So they had not been getting along very well. And my six-year-old, somebody had given us this book years ago, I think when she was first born, and it's called Big Sister, Little Sister. And it's about just a really nice relationship between an older sister and a younger sister, how the older sister, she does things first. And I'm the younger sister. I'm always catching up and she gets all the new clothes and I get the hand-me-downs. And towards the end of the book, though, it's about how the big sister looks after the little sister, even though the little sister claims, I don't need looking after. 
and the big sisters, you know, doing a puppet show for the little sister when she's sick and letting her stay in her bed and telling her stories. And they just have this really sweet relationship in the book. So my six-year-old is asking us every night to read the story to her about this big sister, little sister. And after maybe the sixth time I'd read it to her, I started to realize that perhaps she was wishing she had this relationship with her big sister. So I took the book into my 12-year-old's room and I said, you know, your sister has been asking us to read this book to her every night. And I think she's really wishing that your relationship was like the sister's relationship in this story. That's all I said. And I left the book there. And... The next day, I noticed a change in the way that our daughter, our oldest daughter, the big sister, was treating the little sister. And things have improved in their relationship for sure. You know, we we have been for months saying to, to the older sister, you know, you have to be nice to her. I know that it's frustrating when she yells and cries. And I know that she annoys you, but you have to be nice to her if you're just, you know, so we had been telling her what to do or asking her, please be nice to your sister. And it had fallen on deaf ears. But as soon as she read the story and realized, hey, my little sister is identifying with the character in this book, and I have an opportunity to be this big sister who's really a hero in the book, she decided that that was the type of sister that she wanted to be. And she, it's been amazing. It's, it's been so much better. And I think that's a perfect example of switching from direct communication to indirect communication. It's beautiful because you left the door open for discovery and took the directness out of it. And, you know, then uh, that can occur. That's an amazing story. (laughs) That is entertainment at its finest right there. Right. And as you say, Rob, we want them to have that internal motivation. I want my kids to be kind because they want to be kind, not because someone's telling them to be kind. I find that really interesting, Adrian, because it also brings up the whole idea of who's on the story team. You know, we're talking about you as the parent being on the story team, but really you have put your eldest daughter on the story team. She has gotten insight out of your youngest daughter's entertainment and learned how to react from that standpoint. And what she's going to get is she's going to get reciprocation in some way. So the fact that she's now treating your youngest daughter this way is probably going to affect the way your youngest daughter treats her. So I just found it interesting because that just shows you how it is a family story team and how there is a transference of all of these things as the team starts to work together. Absolutely. And we had said to her over and over again, if you're nice to her, she will be nice to you. We've had these experiences in the past where if you give a little, she gives a lot to the 12 year olds. You know, if you can be nice to her, she will be nice to you in return. And I think this book was a quick and easy way for her to see that, oh, this big sister is nice to the little sister and look at this wonderful relationship they have. I'm actually going to try it because she was seeing the results in the story before she could see them in real life. And I think once you can get sharing with the family as a story team and the child trusts you to be interested in like why they like their character as opposed to judging, then you can take it to the next level. So I think that's a great place to leave this episode. But I do want to tell our listeners that there are a lot more techniques, strategies, and tools that we'll be getting into to help your family as we move into the next episode. And Adrian will be with us again as we unfold these things. 
I also want to say that the next thing that we'll be introducing is the inner IQ, which stands for inner integral qualities. And we'll be going step by step into how you can use the inner IQ to more effectively understand and communicate with your kids. And we want to leave you with one last thought to take away today. And that is, your kids' entertainment is more than just entertainment. When translated into entertainment, it is a goldmine of information and insight into who they are, who they want to be, and how to help them develop. So until the next episode, Adrian, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to all of you for listening. And live above the noise. Hello, everyone. If you'd like to get our email update about new episodes, tips and tools, and all the latest information, please sign up for our Noise Watch update on our liveabovethenoise.com website.